Welcome to the podcast of San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. We're located at 3901 Loma Land Drive in the Point Loma area of San Diego. Whatever your week has been in the past or whatever you anticipate your week is coming in the future, I am so glad you've chosen to spend a few moments together with us. My name is Dee Kelly and I'm privileged to be one of the pastors here at the church and lead us into the passage of scripture. Before I do, I just wanted to take a few moments and talk about a few things in the life of the church that might interest you. We are always grateful if you choose to show up at our services, uh, Sunday school at 9 o'clock, 10.30. We have two services, one that we call the classic service that's in the Ellipse Chapel, and the other a more contemporary service that takes place in uh, the worship center, also called Brown Chapel. Um, Next week on the 10th, I will be speaking in the classic service in the Ellipse, and Mark Mann will be speaking the contemporary service in the Worship Center. Um, I also would like to let you know that on Wednesday night, if you have any interest, uh, we are gathering in the conference room for those who are interested in just being together for a Bible study. We are jumping in this coming Wednesday to Matthew chapter 11. Michael Lodal is uh, the one who will be facilitating us, but Matt Wilson and myself help guide the study, and it is open to anyone at any time. You don't need to worry about having missed any Wednesdays. You can jump in at any point in time. It's just a group of people discussing scripture, and I think you'd find it very enjoyable. We also have coming up in two weeks our um, pie auction and uh, chili fest. We are calling it uh, the Barb and Star Telethon, named after the two characters that our children's church enjoy week after week. So I think you'll find that enjoyable and fun, a time for all of us to get together. Finally, we're in the midst of several projects trying to help others. We are collecting uh, socks, new socks, for the local Lowe's and Fish's Food Pantry. We are raising funds to reduce medical debt in our area. And we are trying to participate in the installation of a water filtration system in a school in Mexico. If any of those three projects sound interesting to you and you might want to contribute, you can contact the church office or just give through our website toward those causes or bring in socks at any point in time to the office. We are glad that you might participate in that way. As always, if you're uncomfortable gathering together at this time, We are grateful that we will continue to offer these kinds of online services for you and hope you will continue to use them. This particular morning, we are digging into a passage in Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. It's part of the lectionary reading for this week. And I invite you to have a Bible and uh, dig in with us as we look at this passage of Scripture. We have wrapped up our series in James, and for several weeks we will be in the book of Hebrews, so I encourage you maybe during your weekly devotions, if you have those, uh, to read ahead through Hebrews and get a feel for this beautiful um, and thick book. Thick not in terms of its length, though it has a number of chapters, but rather thick in its concepts and ideas. It is rich with imagery. Um, and also deep in its reflection on the nature of the spiritual journey. 
So that's what we are looking at this morning, and I will read that in a few moments. Um, this particular book, it's difficult for us to determine in any clear way who might have been the author. We really have very few clues. Um, even the audience is not necessarily all that clear, though it seems to be a very Jewish audience, an audience that has, uh, in some ways, been mistreated both by the oppressors of the area, the Roman authorities, but also by other Jewish groups who have grown very frustrated um, at those who would follow Christ as if somehow this took away from the practice of Judaism. And so we find here the encouragement of the writer of Hebrews to grab hold of and to hold on to that which is special about Jesus Christ, uh, the coming of the Son of God, and to lay out a foundation for the argument for what this means for the people. And so when we look at the book, we can try and place ourselves in the midst of the storyline. Though I think that some of the things translate real well into us today, there are other aspects that are a little bit difficult for us to appreciate fully because our times feel a little bit different than those times. Though I think you will see that there are so many things that are very applicable. This is a book that speaks a lot about a word, a topic we describe by the word Christology. Who is Christ and what has Christ done? In regard to that, we speak about both the humanity of Jesus Christ and the divinity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being fully human and fully God. Well, here's one of the things that might, for some of us, be a contrast to the audience. It has been said, and I agree, that today it seems to be, in our culture, it's much easier to cling to Christ's humanity, but we find it much more difficult to give credence to Christ's divinity. We might give lip service to Jesus being fully God, but often in the way we live out our faith, we just treat him as a marvelous teacher or someone who gave us an excellent way to live. Our culture certainly lends itself to that in being respectful of the Christian faith but recognizing Jesus simply as a good teacher. It seems from Hebrews that the culture of that time was that it was far easier to cling to Christ's divinity, but not Christ's humanity. Or maybe there was a little bit of both. And so the writer of Hebrews lays out this argument for both, for Christ being made a little lower than the angels, acknowledging Christ joining us in our humanity, but also acknowledging Christ inheriting the name of God and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And so it paints this beautiful picture for us 
that we might understand better who Christ is. So let me read for us Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then skipping over to chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom God appointed heir of all things, and through whom God made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Moving over to chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. It is not to angels that he, was sub- that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is man and woman that you are mindful of them? the Son of Man, that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory, and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And bringing many to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, here we have, as I said before, this interesting mix of the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. In the opening verses of Hebrews, verses 1 through 4, which really just comprise one long, beautiful, poetic sentence. We find Jesus Christ being compared to the prophets, but being greater than the prophets. And then we have numerous characteristics of Jesus that are stated. One is that Jesus is an heir of all things. This characteristic denotes Jesus being there at the beginning and at the end. At the beginning, because it also says in verse 2 that he is the creator of all things. All things were created through him. So he is at the beginning and at the end, the alpha and the omega. This recognition of Jesus as being heir of all things is the mystery we talked about when we were in Ephesians, the mystery of God that has been revealed that all things in heaven and on earth will be brought together under one head, that is Jesus the Christ. This is what it means to be heir, but also to be the creator of all things. In 
that same verse, it acknowledges, or in verse 3, that Jesus is the sustainer of all things. And so in the beginning at creation, the sustainer right now, and the heir of all things in that which is to come. Jesus is also described in verse 3 as the exact representation of the Heavenly Father, of God. The exact representation. I remember Brennan Manning, author and speaker, one time asked this question. We seem to not have any trouble believing that Jesus is God-like, but do we really believe that God is Jesus-like? If we are faithful followers of Christ, then we believe that we have seen God when we have seen Jesus. Those were Jesus' words. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. It is a powerful statement to recognize Jesus as the exact representation in character of what God is like. That gives us incredible insight as we look at the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the relationships of Jesus, how Jesus treated others, how Jesus lived his own life, that we have in that a representation of what God is like. We will also find in verse 3 that Jesus is the one who purifies us from all sins. He is our Savior, our source of salvation. It is by what Christ did that we can be reconciled to God. Not by anything we have done, not, lest we should boast. Not by anything we have accomplished, but it's purely by God's grace. It is a reiteration after we have come out of the book of James that our actions are important because they are a reflection of the reconciliation that God has brought about in Christ. That it's not our actions that have saved us, it's grace, but because of grace's work in our life, it changes how we behave. It also speaks of Christ as sitting at the right hand of the Father. In other passages, we learn that there Christ makes intercession on every half. Christ becomes our advocate in all things. And then in verse 4, it says that Christ has inherited the name of God, Theos, Kyrios, God and Lord, that the Son has inherited that name which is above every name. And in that name, we find the divinity of Jesus. Well, where does that leave us? It leaves us reflecting on what we do with this one called Jesus the Christ, and also what Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, does for us and in us. This last week, one of my family members, Tony Powers, my aunt, passed away. She was in her 90s, and what a precious lady she is. She is one who uh, married my mom's oldest brother, 
And we didn't have a lot of interaction with that side of my mom's family other than every other year we would try and gather together for Christmas. And I have certainly numerous memories of her during those times when we would gather, but I didn't see a whole lot of her outside of that until I was grown an adult and we moved to the area where she lived and I got to interact with her more. She was consistent. Uh, It's one of the characteristics she had, consistent all the way through her life. She was saved out of um, a life that was very different than the life she moved into when she came to know Christ as the savior of her journey. And I have told numerous people that if I were to try and characterize my aunt with one phrase, it would be this that Aunt Tony loved Jesus. I never heard her try and argue for or explain it. It just was who she was. She had this passion for Jesus that was simple, straightforward, faithful, consistent, She just loved Jesus. And when I start off in this Hebrews, I have my Aunt Tony in mind. Because there are arguments here that go deep into the ways by which we know Jesus and what Jesus has done on our behalf. But if I miss the entire thrust of this author because I get lost in the arguments, I will miss the power of simply loving Jesus. It's the center of wisdom. I can get distracted by so many other things. I can fall in love with the Bible. I can follow the rules of the Bible because I love rules. I can say I love the church because I love belonging to a group, or I love to be with a winning group. And sometimes in our culture, the Christian faith carries the upper hand, and it's nice to be in that group that sometimes carries that, though that's not always the case. Um, But the bottom line question is not do I love any of those things, It's, do I love Jesus? For God so loved us that Jesus came on our behalf. This is what love is, that one would lay down their life for another. This is what Jesus has done for us. And the question resounds, do you love Jesus? Jesus, the one who was at the beginning of creation and knows us, the one who sustains us, and the one who inherits all because all things fall under Christ. This is the question that we need to return to over and over again. When we think about wisdom, We think about what James says. We think about what Proverbs says. We think about Song of Songs and Job. All of those things teach us about wisdom. 
But at the center of all wisdom is simply this. Love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, then, once we have settled that, if we can settle that, what is our next step? Well, I'd love to relay the story that some of you know about Minty Ross. Araminta was her given name. She was an American slave. And when her master died and she was about to be sold, she ran away. She escaped. And she made her way along what I believe is now the Delaware River, made her way to Pennsylvania to a place where she could be free. But what is fascinating about her journey is that she chose to return. Not to return in slavery, but to return and typically under the cover of darkness, lead other slaves out of slavery to freedom. She made, we believe, 13 separate trips back to the area where she had been to help her family and friends escape. She then became part of the Union forces, actually the first woman to lead an armed um, an armed effort against the southern states. She helped free 700 slaves in a particular battle. She became known as the Moses of the people. Her name eventually changed at one point in her life, the choice that she made, and you probably know her as Harriet Tubman. The reason I share that story is simply this. She had found the route to freedom. She had found a pathway that she believed others could take, and she went back and became one who would lead, a guide, one who knew the steps and whose steps others could follow to freedom. In a much more profound way, in a eternal way. Jesus leads us from death to life, from our own slavery to freedom. Harriet provided for others what she had received. And now we have in these moments presented to us one who has gone before us, one who has suffered like us, one who has experienced death, one who knows the way to life. And it's Jesus the Christ. And the writer in Hebrews is very clear. This is the one to follow. And so we are invited to follow in the footsteps. Not only is this the one who has created us and sustains us and under whom we find life but now leads us every step of the way through our own suffering, through our own joy, through our own hopes, through our own challenges, because Jesus knows the way. Jesus has made the trip and invites us to follow his disciples, to give our lives, 
to that which leads to freedom and grace, to hope, to eternity, to fully realizing the image that has been stamped on us, and will find in this the greatest fulfillment, because Jesus leads us all the way. So that's the invitation this morning, to allow Jesus to be the one who provides our salvation, Jesus to be the one who sustains us, Jesus the one who leads us. I invite you this morning to let that be true for your own journey. Lord God, you have shown us the way, and we have spent a lot of time going our own way. And you are gracious and kind in allowing us to do in our freedom what we choose to do, but invite us in our freedom to choose the more beneficial way, the way that not only benefits us, but benefits others, that benefits your creation, that leads us in a pathway where we are blessed by you. And though it may go through stages and phases of suffering and difficulties, of uncertainty, of times when we don't know what will happen next, you have promised to lead us every step of the way. When darkness seems to engulf us, when the pathway gets muddy and covered, when barriers seem to block the way, help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on Jesus, on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. So give us courage to surrender ourselves to you, to give ourselves fully to you as sustainer, redeemer, knowing that you have offered to be with us every step of the way. So Lord, hear our prayer. We want to just show you we love you. May our life reflect that love of you in all we do, in all we think, in every step of the way. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Now may you go in God's peace, God's grace, under God's lordship and leadership. May this week be for you a week where Christ comes alive and you are enlivened with the freedom of following Christ eternally. God's peace be with you. God's best be poured over you.